0: How does the offer of free beer sound to you? Well, as a loyal listener of this show, we'd like to reward you uh, for listening to our show. Uh, and we're going to start doing it now with free beer, as my previous sentence implied. Thanks to our friends at Beer52.com, that's Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight Free exclusive craft beers, and it's not just a sip—you get the whole thing. Because there's no point in opening it if you're just going to have a sip and then throw it away. So it's eight, eight free exclusive craft beers from all around the world. All you need to do is go to beer dot com forward slash West Ham and cover just four ninety five for the postage. And what's more, stop Hammer Time listeners get two beers free, so that's a total of ten free beers. With just the postage. Uh, so, Beer52, uh, who are they, you're asking? Beer52.com forward slash West Ham. They are pioneers traversing the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small-batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. So, no surprise, then, that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer52, 52, Beer52, 52, deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany. Korea. These are names of countries. Germany, Korea, Norway. Not themes in a way, they're, they're names of countries. Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa. Calif- that's not a- California is not a country. California is a state. So Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa, the state of California, Finland, and many, many more countries and states. But not states of mind or states of well-being. States like um, Arizona. Arizona. But not Arizona, California, Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa, California, Finland, and many more. But they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, so their roots are in the UK. Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The UK craft beers, like UK, like UK Garage. But not as violent. The beauty of Beer 5-2 is that they don't hold you to ransom. There's no lock-in, and you can leave any time. Your first box will be sent to you next day. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment. Which is a play on words, Jim, isn't it? Jim, your. are um...
2: Yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah. good. It's, it's play on words.
0: Yeah. Ferment, which explains the theme and individual ye- beers you'll receive and a cheeky... Oh, Jim's here, by the way. Uh, wow. You'll receive and a cheeky snack is thrown in just to top it all off. You don't like dark beers? Well, choose the light plan. Easy. Go to beer52.com forward slash West Ham to get your first case of eight beers for free. And don't forget, customers get an extra two unmissable beers free. That's beer52.com forward slash
2: West Ham. I thank you. Stop Hammer Time is brought to you by Duke and the team at the Cricketers Inn in Mepham near Gravesend. Whilst you're there, you have to try their award winning fish and chips and enjoy it with a pint of Watney's Pale Ale. Hello, and welcome to Stop Hammer Time.
0: My name is Phil Whelan, and uh, joining me this week are two of my compadres from my outing at the weekend to go and see Chelsea United play West Ham United over at Stamford Bridge in the posh part of London. They are Colin Milne. Hello, Colin. How are you, Phil? And Gary Killington. Hello, Phil. Jim Grant uh, couldn't be with us. He was the fourth of our uh, four Musketeers. Jim... Mm -hmm. When the final whistle went, Jim took all his clothes off and uh, ran out onto the Fulham Road, uh, broke into a, a fabric shop and uh, got a piece of William Morris uh, sofa upholstery material and fashioned it into a kind of kilt. And uh, he hasn't been seen since. He, it, it must be said he's very, very pleased at uh, the result. Um, um, and... Uh, it, Is this week a triumphant top six challenging stop hammer time after a weekend in which the part played by David Martin in West Ham's famous victory at Stamford Bridge ended with the West Ham goalkeeper in tears. In direct contrast to a week ago when the part played by West Ham's goalkeeper in our famous defeat ended up with the crowd in tears. (laughs) In fact... Callum Mann, the famous crying child from Sam Allardyce's landmark 5-0 cup away defeat at Nottingham Forest in 2014, has described Roberto's time between the sticks as a return to the good old days. Uh Mann, who since shooting to fame at Forest now wishes to be known as Distraught Callum Mann, said, I haven't really bothered much with football since my famous TV appearance at the city ground. I've been mainly going to funerals and watching the Green Mile, Uh or the bit where Bambi's (laughs) mum gets shot. But I've really enjoyed Roberto's time at the club. I've been on three packs of Kleenex a game, and it's great to just get it all off my chest. I haven't enjoyed a West Ham match as much since Zizimoni Zaza left. (laughs) At the final whistle, the openly weeping David Martin was given a big hug by his dad Alvin, proving that male pattern baldness is on the mother's side. He then scooped David up, popped him in the child's seat and took him out for pizza and ice cream. Later that night, Alvin and Mrs Martin let him stay up and watch Match of the Day before, tucking him and his girlfriend up in bed and switching the light off. So what a what a game it was at the weekend. Um, we're going to discuss that uh, after, after the break. But uh, before that, during disconsolate moments, West Ham fans often... Pine for the return to their front line of someone like a man I spoke to the phone to earlier today. And we're going to listen to that conversation now. He is one of the great West Ham strikers, as uh, has, I, I think we agree, gentlemen. As has, has we do. gone into legend as, as one of uh, mm-hmm. the all-time great West Ham strikers. Uh, he himself will, be, will register not, not bewilderment, but sort of surprise that the fans took him to their hearts because he considered himself not necessarily a kind of West Ham player. But I, whenever there have been periods where, well, the aforementioned uh, Simone Zazar and uh, uh, Zazar and Jonathan Caleri were up front. Mm-hmm. Um, the early 90s when poor old trevor morley a uh, uh, victim of knife crime was <laughs> expected to lead the line on his own yeah. uh, we're always in those moments crying out for a david cross type yes. for a david cross type and uh, earlier today i spoke to david cross and it sounds a bit like this so um david um do you still follow the fortunes of west ham at all yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it seems that uh, w- one thing that uh, I think everyone knows about David Cross is whenever there's a kind of striker crisis or we, we don't seem to have firepower up front, I think everybody tends to say what we need is someone like David cross uh, at this particular moment in time that has happened I think since the early 90s when poor old Trevor Morley had to uh, shoulder all of our attacking responsibilities obviously a few years it, uh, ago it happened when uh, we didn't seem to have striking options beyond Simone Zazar and uh, Jonathan Kaleri um, what do you uh, what do you think uh, might be the reasons we had to drop our 45 million pounds uh, French striker at the weekend?
3: Well, it's, yeah. Um, when when he played his first couple of games, you know, I, I didn't see those games, but apparently the, um, the reports were really good, uh, saying he was working hard, um, looked a class act, um, and looked like a goal scorer. Um, but I watched the game against Newcastle, I was down there, I was down at the stadium. And oh, right, that yeah. Game. And um, his, his movement really was um, fairly pedestrian. And I mean, the big thing about goal scoring is you, you've got to get into positions to score goals,
4: mm. and,
3: and the positions to score goals are as close as possible to uh, to the goalkeeper. So if you can get in the six yard box and finish from there, then you know those are the ones everyone says, "Oh, you know, I could have scored that," and so could my mother-in-law. But yeah. you have to get you have to get there to be able to do that. Um, anywhere in the penalty area you've got a chance of scoring but most of the game i looked at where he was and he was never in the box um and sometimes that's that's a lack of confidence you know i think if you if you're a goal scorer and you're not scoring goals you've got to get it into your head that you know the only way to do uh to do the the honorable thing is to get into the Dangerous positions, yeah. and if you're going to miss chances, then miss them. But don't get into positions where you can't miss a chance because you don't get a chance. Um, and and that was the the feeling I got watching that game against Newcastle. But since then, you know, apparently he didn't uh, he didn't do all that well against Tottenham, and then no, and then they left him out at the weekend. so
0: well, the, the Tottenham game, he seemed to, uh, you know, the, it was interesting because obviously with Tottenham you had uh, Harry Kane who was full of confidence and you also had, uh, you know, a system where Kane was on his own up front but behind him were three guys that can also score goals but were also looking for Kane all the time. I think um, there was a goal that was a kind of cross uh, that... Kane was at the back post but I think the person that crossed the ball was just looking for Kane from the moment he picked the ball up and and it was a he missed everyone out in the whole entirety of the middle of the penalty area because he was looking for the guy that's going to come in on the far post and that was Kane and Kane knew that was going to happen and uh that was their kind of system that they had it feels a bit like um Hilaire is sort of a bit kind of feeling a bit isolated up front because of the sort of system we're playing in
3: well yeah um, I understand what you're saying but when I was I mean, we always go back to to this don't we when I was playing and it it sounds like one of those cliches but um, because I considered myself a goal scorer then I relied on scoring goals and I was prepared to live and die on the fact that I would score them so if I didn't score, I was quite willing to put my hand up and said, yeah, I must be doing something wrong. But what I used to say to the lads in wide positions, and, and this happened several times during the course of, of seasons, Patsy Holland, maybe Jimmy neighbor bless him, would say, "Cos I, I couldn't see you to pick out, so you know I didn't cross the ball. And I used to say to them, listen, just put the ball in the in the Penalty area, don't try and pick me out. Just put it in there. If I know it's going to come in, I'll get on the end of it.
4: Yeah, I'll attack it. If I don't
3: get on the end of it, then you can blame me. But I'll certainly blame you if you don't put it in the box because that's where I'm going to score goals. I'm prepared to hurt myself to to get a goal. Just put it in there and I'll get on the end of it. I promise you I will get on the end of it. And sometimes that's the attitude you have to have as a striker to, to be able to say to people, well, put the ball in the areas where we can score a goal, and Mm. I'll be the person who gets on the end of it and put put
0: it in the net. I'll attack it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Interestingly, obviously, a good example of a a change of formation uh, uh, that suddenly made things very different was the 1980 Cup final, where we sort of nominally played with one up front, which was you. And uh, um, was that a bit of a kind of shock when that came that day?
3: Yeah, because I didn't know about that. John, you know, John was very clever, a very very astute coach, and uh, he'd worked something out that, you know, us being a second division side at the time, and Arsenal being, you know, right up at the top of the tree in the in the first division, he had to do something different, something that that would surprise them. Hmm. What I didn't realise was he was going to surprise me at quarter three <laughs>
4: yeah, on, the, yeah.
3: on the day of the game. But um, you know, what he did worked. It, it was for me, it was. Um, it was disappointing in many respects because I knew that I wouldn't get a chance to score. It yeah. was quite clear what my role was going to be, and that we were going to get goals from uh or chances to score from the middle of the field and and my job was to take their defense or their two center backs out of the out of the positions um, by by moving across the line and right. really not even not even uh, enticing the ball into my feet um, so it was disappointing in that respect, but then again, at the end of that game, when I walk up the steps and get a, a cup Winners' then medal, then, yeah. you know, then, then it
0: works. Where did you get hold of that flat cap?
3: I don't know, but I wish I'd never worn it. I, every time I see it on pictures now, I keep thinking, why on earth did I wear that hat?
0: Now, um, that look no, that look is it. very popular now, David. That's a huge... <laughs> uh, the old flat cap, Peaky Blinders. Popular yeah, look now. Um,
3: yeah, I've not seen that. I'll have to uh, invest in Sky TV, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw on the BBC, I think. So, uh, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, 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 <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, no, it's full of flat caps. It's like a tribute. Right. It's a tribute to the 1980 FA Cup final, that show. Well,
3: yeah. Um, Except they're all yes, it, somebody, somebody gave it me in the crowd, I'm sure. It must have been when I was going up the steps. I mean, to be honest... Once, once the final whistle goes, and you know you, you can't really yeah. remember what happens and who did what. But um, yeah, I, I sometimes wish I'd not, uh, I'd not picked that one up.
0: Um, talking of scoring goals I mean your, your goal scoring record is uh, is extraordinary most of the places you go uh, it's like a kind of a goal every other game almost or, or a, a little bit less than that even a, um, you know you, you yourself sort of accounted the Manchester City year as not particularly you know one of your favourite years of football but it's that's, that's something like 12 in 30 it was very nearly a goal every other game um, and uh, I understand that John Lyle had a kind of incentive scheme for you uh, uh, to uh, try and hit the highest target you could goal scoring what was that
3: well it wasn't actually an incentive scheme it was just that we were having a chat on the way to one particular game and uh, and John just said to me you know how many times have you got twenty goals in a season and I said well, I never have um, and I was twenty seven twenty eight at the time um, and he, he couldn't believe that. He said, you've never scored 20 goals. I said, no, I've never scored 20 goals. I, I always start really well. Um, you know, probably by Christmas, I've got 10, 12, maybe even 15 goals, but then I just, I just die out in the second half of the season. I said, I think it might be because, um, I worked so hard over the summer that I come back fit for pre-season, very fit. Um, and, and I get off to a flying start and, and then maybe I just, you know, I just, so he t- tire at the, towards the the end of February, March, and April. So, so he just said the one time he said, "Look, if you get a goal over twenty this season, I'll pay you uh, five pounds for a goal. If you get less than twenty, you pay me five pounds for for you know the goals you haven't scored." Um, and quite quickly in that eighty eighty one season, I got. Um, I got over twenty quite quickly, and John then moved the goalposts and said he would give me ten pounds <laughs> for every goal I scored over thirty, uh, or I would pay him ten pounds for every goal I got less than thirty. So, um, and the Grimsby game, which was the, the, the one that clinched our promotion, was one where I was lucky enough to to get four goals. And, yeah, and John, yeah. John coughed up forty quid, but what he did, which he didn't have. He had to borrow it off. Uh, off one
0: of our directors. Oh, that's a um, great days when they have to borrow money. <laughs> They'd have to they, they, for uh, for managers to borrow money off directors now, there'd be people there'd be houses would be remortgaged now.
4: <laughs> the investment uh, of money yeah, maybe but I
3: did yeah. uh, I did do the honourable thing by giving a fiver to each of the lads who provided those goals. So oh that's he, good. Partsy got a fiver and I'm not sure of the other three but I gave I dished out a fiver each anyway. So I only came out with twenty quid and I gave the other twenty away.
0: Oh, brilliant. Um, what was it like going to Canada? You had two spells in Vancouver, didn't you? What was, what was, uh, what was the league like out there at the time?
3: Uh, yeah, it was good. It was a good league. There were some um, very good imports, which is us, you know, the English lads yeah. and, the, and the foreign lads uh, from Europe. Uh, we had a particularly good side. I played up front with Peter Beardsley. Um, we had Dave Watson, the England centre back, oh, yeah, right, yeah. the Manchester City lad. Uh, he was our centre half. Uh, Franz Tyson from Ipswich had come as well, so yeah. um, we really had a good side at Vancouver. And the league, all of the um, all of the clubs in in that particular division had very good imports. But the key to us. Or for us at Vancouver Whitecaps that season was that our Canadians were really good. You had to have six citizens. Right. So you couldn't go out, uh, with a, you know, six or seven imported players. You had to have at least six citizens, which is either Canadians or, or US citizens playing in the team. And we, because we had, uh, British Columbia obviously has a lot of, um, people who emigrated from england and and moved over there and scotland and ireland as well Yeah,
0: nova scotia is a lot of sort of traditionally is sort of scottish immigrants to canada isn't it
3: yeah that's right and obviously that's where they got the name from so um but yeah bc had a lot of very good um soccer minded players who were the canadians And, and because our uh, six or seven Canadians were really good players and, you know, that helped us. And we just were the icing on the cake, if you like, you know, the imports yeah. who who scored the goals and, and defended it at the other end, if you're thinking of Dave Watson.
0: And was it fun out there? Vancouver's a nice place, I think. I've, been, oh, it's, I've a
3: beautiful place, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. It, yeah, it really is. And one of the bonuses, obviously, was being able to see uh, or travel America,
4: you know, yeah. and,
3: Get around and play in New York and Chicago and places like that. So it was interesting. Uh, it was an interesting two seasons I had. Um, I mean, w- when you said I had two spells there, it, I only I had actually two seasons.
4: Yeah. All
3: oh, right. Um, yeah, yeah. And I came back and had had uh, a winter in England on loan uh, at Oldham Athletics. So oh yeah, I, Oldham, I was that's actually right. Canadian. I was Vancouver Whitecaps player, but I just came back on loan. Right.
0: Right. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, the other thing, uh, that I, that I have a vague memory about you was to do with, um, your, uh, silver, uh, pig medallion, which came out of, like, a superstition to do with, uh, seeing, seeing pigs or something?
3: Yeah, it wasn't silver, uh, Bill. Right. It was, it was a little pink pig that Rob Jenkins got me, a very, very, very small pink pig, small enough. To probably uh, be as big as your fingernail.
4: Right, so right.
3: Very small and very pink and very light. Um, but yeah, th- this story was that every time we saw a pig in the field or as we were travelling on the train or the coach or wherever, or we passed a pub that was called the Happy Pig or right. something like that, I'd happened to score a goal and Rob Jenkins picked that one up. Rob being our physio at the time. Um, Rob picked that thing up and then after about Christmas decided he'd buy me this little pig and gave it to me um, so that I always had a pig so I didn't have to rely on seeing a pub with the pig's name or seeing right. some pig in the field so I have a pig so right, right. and that was the that was why I, I, I took that with me and I always had it in the pocket but for the cup final I decided that that wasn't enough to have it in my pocket I needed a bit more luck than that so so I walked out with it in my hand and I played with it in my hand.
0: Wow, wow! <laughs> um, are you, were you a superstitious player by nature?
3: Uh, no, not really. No, no, but that was just one superstition that I couldn't, I couldn't really resist. Yeah, yeah. Because it was the cup final, I wasn't particularly superstitious. I, I used to, I used to travel the same way to um, to the Upton Park on a Saturday, for instance. But that wasn't so much superstition as. Um, I wanted to come down from Forest Gate down Green Street and just pick up the vibes from the fans.
4: Right, um, right. And,
3: and that yeah. was brilliant for me. You know, I'd be maybe at the top of uh, Green Street at, at 1.30 on a Saturday. And just driving down there, it would take probably 10 to 15 minutes because of the crowds and the, and the traffic. Uh, and I just picked up the vibes so well that I was just ready to play when I got there at two o'clock. Now, yeah.
4: Um,
3: yeah I just loved seeing the Claret and Blue and the people walking down there and coming out of Ken's Cafe, and um, and, and so I, that wasn't so much a superstition as just me getting a, a feel for the game, yeah, yeah, getting really absolutely. hyped, really hyped up to play at Upton Park, yeah. and which is which is somewhere where I, I just love playing. I, you know, it's difficult to describe, um, really, but at other clubs came to Saturday and getting towards three o'clock and I'd be very nervous and thinking about what might happen and I hoped I'd do alright I hoped I'd score you know I was dubious about how the game would go but but when I was at West Ham and playing at Upton Park on a Saturday afternoon I just couldn't wait to get down there I could not wait to get on the field at five to three
0: yeah, um,
3: and play there. It was just a fantastic place for me.
0: That is something you hear a lot. I, I, we, we had McAvenny on the podcast. He was saying the same thing. It was just like, you know, right, desperate okay. to get back there and just play again in front of the fans and stuff. Like.
3: Yeah, that's right. It was, it was yeah. just, I mean, I, I was lucky really because I wasn't that a popular player at any of the other clubs I played for. You know, I'd scored goals, but, um, you know, I wasn't like, you know, the fans' favourite player by any stretch of the imagination. But for some unknown reason, when I played for West Ham and, and you know, I knew I wasn't a typical West Ham player, um, you know, for some reason the fans kind of took to me and maybe it was because of the way I played or the way I put myself about and the fact that I wasn't really frightened about getting hurt. Yeah,
4: uh,
3: yeah. And the, the fans took to me and, and so I just, you know... it. I just love playing that. It's very
0: difficult to describe other yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, yeah, my memories were that uh, you always seem to make yourself available for the ball. And uh, um, uh, we've had players since then, like Sheringham uh, would find space a lot. But it's, it's, uh, it was almost the opposite. He wasn't necessarily showing for the ball. He was almost hiding from the other team until they suddenly noticed that he's in about sort of six square yards of space on his own, and they forgot to pick him up. Uh, whereas yeah. you um, made yourself kind of a lightning rod for uh, for uh, all passes to come your way. It seemed to sort of, you were really happy for like the game to kind of go through you in the last third. And um, it, it felt that you know, in the last third, you were sort of really kind of pulling strings and a very sort of dominant presence. And uh, I think that's why the fans took, you know, took to you so much it was sort of um, it, it just felt like you 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 know you were really kind of taking the lead in that last third of the pitch and uh, um, yeah so but it, it it sort of feels like it, it feels like um, I mean what do you think about the sort of changes in the system where where we do nominally have kind of one up front now what do you do you think that 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 is a um, you know has, has, has had an adverse effect on the game? Well, I think. You know,
3: when I look back to the to our era, um, I, I think that the players now are technically better than we were. Um, mm-hmm. the, they're fitter than we were. And, and we were very fit. You know, it's, it's hard to describe how fit we were. Um, but, you know, they're so quick now and, uh, and technically so good. Um, yet I feel the game itself isn't as good as a spectacle. Um, you know, I think fans like to see what we did, which was getting the ball uh, from one end to the other, you know, goal games really we considered were a won and lost in both penalty areas. Yeah. And yeah. now such a great deal of the play is, is between the penalty areas. Um, and not quite so much in those vital areas that I used to work in. You know, that was my, the, the penalty area was, was my home ground really. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. where I operated. And I wanted to be, uh, I always wanted to be on the ball I always wanted to uh the ball to come to me because I wanted to impose myself on the on the opposition center half yeah,
4: yeah. Um,
3: and I liked the physical side of the game I, I didn't mind getting hurt i liked i quite i mean I played up to it a little bit in that if I did get hurt. I wouldn't show it because Mm-mm. I wanted the fans to think how tough I was. Well, I wasn't that tough. I was just a bit clever and played a bit of an uh, played a bit of an act. Yeah, yeah.
4: Um,
3: but I wanted to show the fans that I was quite prepared to be hurt, to be able to get the ball and hold it and get it out wide and then get in the box and get hurt again, but score a goal. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know that that's what I wanted I like the physical side of it I, I didn't like it when um when I was playing against someone who wasn't quite as physical as a centre-half so I wanted to have a battle and uh, and I felt that that was something that fans like to see that physical side and now I mean I, I mean I wouldn't probably last 60 minutes I'd be sent off now no. the way <laughs> the way I played then if I was playing now but um uh, but you know that you you' protected so much now as a striker that um, probably the way I played wouldn't wouldn't work because you know i wasn't as I said earlier on i wasn't a typical West Ham player, and I knew mm. that um, and John Lyle. When I told John that, and you know, I said, "Look, I don't." When I was about to sign for it, club, I said, "I don't really think I'm a typical West Ham player." And he said, "No, you're not," and that's why I have signed you. Yeah,
4: because yeah. Because I
3: want some. We want something different. And he said, "And the fans will like you because you will be different, and you'll, you'll put yourself about in the penalty area, and that's what, uh, that's where goals are scored." And, uh, you know, and it's a simple, basic statement, but, but it's true. Yeah. If you put the ball in the penalty area, you're likely to score a goal, and if you've got some of the who is prepared to get hurt to score a goal, then you've got a chance. So um and that's how I played and, and that's that's really the story of my five years at West Ham
0: and Yeah. And, well, I, think I think the composition of a good team sort of requires a bit of kind of variety in the players you've got in there. For example, I think at the moment we have quite a few players that all would ideally like to be the sort of number 10, like Anderson, Fornells, Lanzini, Wilshere, uh, arguably Noble, w- would it all be best served being the number 10, but they can't all be the number 10. And, uh, you know, what was great about um, uh, the team that you were in was that there was a sort of great variety of uh, uh, of players in a great variety of approach and it was a it was actually a fantastic team that uh, uh, um, you know they obviously hung on to uh, Brookings uh, when they when they went down and and um, And so we had a, you know, that team that finally came up. And then I think the first season back, um, uh, 81-82 was a sort of mid-table finish, wasn't it? It was a good side, playing really well, because we had the confidence of like absolutely creaming it in the uh, second flight and coming straight back up and continuing to just play very good football. And it was a really good, you know, I saw a few of those games and uh, uh, it was a fantastic outfit, that team. It really felt like every part of that team worked very well. It must have been a fantastic team to be part of.
3: Well, yeah, it was. I mean, I played in three separate little eras, if you like, because I played my first season and a half with Pop Robson up front. And yeah, that's right. And picking up your, your theme there of number 10, you know, Pop was a number 10. Yeah. Um Then Stuart Pearson came, and Stuart loved the fact that I was a number 9 and he could be number 10, um, because Stuart was a very good player faced up towards the goal. I was a good back-to-goal player. Yeah. Um, and... Stewart was a, and that's why Stewart played so well in the cup final. Not only because he was a big game player, you know, he played for England, he mm-hmm. played big games for Man United, but Stewart could play faced up, uh, you yeah, know, running yeah. at running at their goal. Whereas I, I was the other way around. I wanted to play with my back to goal and and then get in the box. And then Paul Goddard came, and and Paul was a number ten. So, and they liked playing with somebody like myself because I was the one who could take the knocks and do the hard work and and you know do all the defending from the front, which suited me to be quite honest. Because you know my game was I I was very good without the ball. You know some players are very good with the ball, and and Stuart and Stuart and Paul and Pop were brilliant with the ball. I was really a one-and-two-touch player who just wanted to get in the box. So, yeah. I was, you know, my, my movement off off the ball Yeah, was, running uh, into
0: space, yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah, exactly, and, and creating... I mean, the fact that you're running into space not only means you're likely to get the ball, but it means you're dragging the centre-half with you, yeah, and that absolutely. will then create space for your mate, who's the yeah. number 10 who gets in there. And, and so, um, you know, I... I the number ten. Everyone wanted to do the number ten because you don't get hurt as much there because yeah, you're not doing yeah. the physical stuff. But I didn't want that. I, I, I knew well. In fact, I knew I couldn't do it. I, you know, I, number nine was my number on the back. I never played with any other number in my career.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, and and I'm quite proud of the fact that if people look at our new centre forward, Hallett, um, and and say you know, is he a number nine in the way that David Cross is number nine. That's a big flattering compliment for
0: me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is a, that is a kind of a, a testament to how West Ham fans look at you. As I said at the beginning of this, I think every time we're slightly short on kind of firepower, I think the conversation in pubs uh, all around the ground is like, if we had a David Cross type now, we'd be okay. Um, yeah. I think that's the, you know, that is, you know, possibly... You know, even more than Hursty, because per- perhaps you're just more recent in people's memories. It, it is, it, you are seen as, you're seen as a certain type of kind of uh, lead the line athletic Front player that um, people still look as the sort of you know the kind of paradigm or the example of that kind of player and uh, yeah you certainly are for me and you know, like I was young when I started uh, to go to go to games but I saw games in that sort of that period in uh, uh, probably when I started to go actually was sort of you know in that kind of somewhere between seventy nine and eighty two it was when I probably started going sort of
3: okay
0: you know more than a couple of times a year so I have sort of quite you know quite good memories of uh, that period and obviously we played some fantastic football in that uh period your uh your offspring are all sporty that's is am i right i'm writing that isn't doesn't, doesn't your daughter play cricket is that right
3: yeah yeah kate, kate plays cricket yeah for England. Yeah, yeah
4: that's yeah.
3: my son son plays cricket well he did play for lancashire but he's 35 36 right, now right. But, um but bobby played uh, cricket for lancashire and my other daughter jennifer is uh, is a county netball player as well. so oh, wow. Yeah, we, we, we suppose sport runs in, in the families, doesn't it? If, yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. You know, if you're a
3: sportsman, and my, my wife was a netball player as well. Oh, and, right, right. Um, you know, she would always encourage the kids to, to play sport, and I suppose if I'd been an actor or i been a... a, a musical uh you know prodigy then maybe my kids would turn out that way but it it just seemed natural that we would encourage the kids to play sport just for enjoyment really and i'm I'm a big believer in in one thing which was that sport is for enjoyment you know absolutely most people will play sport and not get paid for it you know occasionally you'll get somebody who who does get paid for it and sometimes the fun then gets knocked out of it because your livelihoods at stake but Sport, for me, is, is about enjoying yourself. And, yeah, yeah. Um, And I've always encouraged my kids to, to do what they wanted to do, to enjoy themselves, and sport was the way they went.
0: Did you ever play cricket growing up?
3: Yes, I did, yeah. I was yeah. a cricketer, probably a better cricketer than I was a footballer when I was very young, but uh, I realised that I've got more of a chance of, of right. making money uh, as a footballer than the, uh, in the late 60s. You know, there wasn't a great deal of money in cricket. and no, no. Um, and, and I just happened to fall lucky and get signed by my local club. Uh, and even then, when I got signed as a professional, I didn't think I was ever going to be good enough
4: mm. to,
3: to, to progress up the ladder like I did do. So, you know, for me, looking back on a career that... You know, lasted nearly 20 seasons and, yeah. and playing 600 and odd games and getting 250 goals. You know, yeah, I, I, yeah. Would never have, I would never have no. believed that that was going to happen when I first signed for Rochdale as an 18 year
0: old. Yeah, yeah, no, you chose the right path. So uh, just, to, just, to, uh, just to finish us off, we, um, uh, we were absolutely in the sort of, that was uh, one of the. One of the lowest points was that Newcastle game. I think we really, really sort of expected a reaction uh, after uh, some of the disappointing results uh, before that. Uh, uh, we didn't get it. Um, and uh, um, But we had a little bit of a reaction at the weekend with a little bit of a sort of reshaping the team. And I wonder, I wonder whether, uh, you know, what you think uh, the rest of the season might hold for the club.
3: Well, when you look at the players, you, you know, you think that we must have... A good chance of, of, certainly when you go out on a, on a Saturday afternoon and you put player against player, that, you know, the Newcastle game, I, apart from a couple of the Newcastle lads, there's the a little lad up front, uh, San as you call yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, that guy, um, yeah. He did well, um, in that particular game and, uh, the, the Brazilian kid, um uh, uh, yeah, he, so he comes from Romford. Um, yeah. Joel Linton. Yeah, Joel Linton, um, Yeah,
4: yeah.
3: I thought he was. I thought he was from East End somewhere when I first saw his name. and yeah. I remember, yeah. Like, it, was, it was one name. It wasn't two. Yeah. Um, but when you compare the two sides uh, as eleven against eleven, then you know you think, well, West Ham are going to beat these because. Yeah. But it's not about. It's not about that. It's 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 about your desire to go out and. Uh, and perform, and, and I think that's the difference now between modern-day players and, and the players from our era. That you know, we were really working-class players in terms of if we won, we we earned more money. If we played, yeah. we won, we earned more money. And you know, that was a big incentive for someone like me, who came from a working-class background. Um, you know, who's you know just was brought up by my mother because my father died when I was four. Uh, we fine. had, you know, we had nothing in the family. I had no money, um, and to be able to earn money was a big thing for me. You know, the professional football was my out. Um, I was really yeah. intelligent. I might have done something else, but I was never going to earn big money. And you know, being a professional footballer, it gave me that chance to do that. And with the incentives that we had when we were players at that time. You had the chance to either double or treble your wages in one particular week yeah, by yeah. being in the te- by being in the team and winning,
4: yeah.
3: and th- and that was a big incentive for someone like me and most of the other lads in our team. Yeah, yeah. But now those like the lads now who are playing have no real incentive to play or win no. because they earn that much money anyway. So you know we we were working class, um, and now the lads aren't probably working class. You know they they, they don't need the incentive to, to play every week and to win, uh, to earn more money. You know, they get so much money now. And I'm yeah. not decrying that. I'm not blaming those lads. Good luck to them. Um, but that's just how we were. We were working class. If we played, we earned more money. If we won, we yeah. earned more money. Yeah. So it was as simple as that. So um, yeah. in that respect, I think players are different now. They have a different mentality to the one we had.
0: yeah. Well, listen, David. It's been absolutely uh, fantastic. It's been a real privilege to talk to you. as one of my well, it's li- nice to li- speak uh, to you.
3: Bill. I can hear minutes. you now, by the way, just, Oh, that's just good. <laughs> that. Not only Josh.
0: Brilliant. All right, David. Thanks very much. David Cross, there. Nice guy, huh? Fabulous nice guy. bloke. Yep. Nice ever blunt. run. Definitely yeah, yeah. One of our absolutely. And he was. Uh, I didn't. I didn't uh, mention that, but he was. He said something later that made me reminded me of the fact that he was in fact a bit of a kind of brainiac and i think he's one of those people like robert green that had the reputation for always reading a book on the kind of train and coach to
1: away it's a big center forward isn't it you don't expect a centre forward to be eloquent and the guy can actually have a conversation yeah well he's a very um, which is unusual among center forwards
4: he is a
0: very smart guy a really nice guy as well so it's great to talk to him we'll talk about the chelsea game after this break
2: This week's Stop Hammer Time is brought to you by Gaz and the team at the Blue Ball in Walton-on-the-Hill near Epsom. Check out their amazing Sunday lunch. And whilst you're there, enjoy it with a pint of Watney's Pale Ale.
1: Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast brought to you by me, Mark and my co-host Bethan. Each week we take a deep dive into the dark world of true crime. Cases have ranged from the murder of Christina Abbotts, a high-class escort who was killed by a sadistic client, to the Peru 2, a pair of young women convicted of smuggling drugs in South America. Whilst always respectful to the victims of these crimes, we do like to tell each story in our own unique style, with humour and lots of f***ing swearing. Join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red, a true crime podcast, wherever you get yours.
0: Welcome back. So, at the weekend, gentlemen, we went to uh, Stamford Bridge in south-west London and saw a rather satisfying game of football. Uh, what, do we, what do we make of it all? Shall I start, Gary? I
1: think start. so. Yeah. Well, I, I want to give some tremendous praise to, 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 to my standing colleague on the day because Gary went into the turnstile saying, I've got a good feeling about this game. Uh-huh. And I think he was probably just about on his own. Because nobody else was sort no. of having those sort of optimistic. Well, there was no optimism whatsoever in the pub before the game. I'd like to point um, out
0: on the on the podcast last week, I predicted quite a thumping win for them
1: You, that, you, for did, you did. You did three two. I believe three two. I believe. Yes.
0: So I got the winning margin correct.
1: What well, you did, but it didn't help my bet because I no. do- I followed that. I went down uh, to the bookmakers and I put some good money on,
4: um, right, and, and,
1: and, and I I ended up really really <laughs> disappointed with a one nil win. Right. Yes. But but. Yes. but, but you know I, 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 you're forgiven well sh- why shoot for the moon when you can have the stars or whatever they say it, 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 it's yeah. something very like that but but as i say gary got it right and actually he got it right during the game as well good just, man just, killer. just a feeling just a feeling no 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 it wasn't a feeling because overwhelming he did
2: much more sense of expectation when we went into that ground And mm-hmm. i don't know what happened between the pub and the ground, <laughs> yeah. but something happened. And we we know, were quite exactly. maudlin on the way. Yeah, we, yeah. the we, we all predicted a loss. Yeah, yeah. We all predicted Pellegrini was going to get sacked.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But but he also said something quite interesting during the game. He said, look, if we go 1-0 up, this is a young side, they won't come back. Mm. And, and, and and they didn't. Not really.
2: No, no they, they... Yeah, they, they haven't been 1-0 down very often. They've scored a lot of goals, haven't yes, they? Yes. And, uh, and coming back, especially because we were sitting quite deep. We weren't playing the high line like we had been in previous no. weeks, so they couldn't take advantage of it.
0: No. But we, um, uh, it was a good game. It was a good performance. I mean, uh, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the bottom line was work rate, really, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. there, were, there were certain things which we'll talk about in a moment, but really the kind of headline is just better work rate, wasn't it? I mean, it we just worked harder. Um,
2: rice. Rice. He was absolutely outstanding. That was probably his best game, I would say, maybe ever, in a West Ham shirt. He was all over the place. He was. And he had the incentive of being up against his mate, Mason Mount, Mm -hmm. at his old club in Chelsea. Yeah. The one his dad supported, I think. So, Yeah. yeah. all the motivation to do it but my god what a performance
0: it was a really good performance and I mean I think this this season as, as we've sort of suggested once or twice on the podcast before is a little bit of a kind of uh, crux season for him because yeah. I, I think he I think he's um, Gareth Barry like defensive qualities you know came to England's notice yeah. last season and so as a, someone to sit in front of the back for, yeah. uh he was um, a, you know a shoe in I think from his play but I mean I I think, uh, you know, they're always going to be looking for someone who can bring a little bit more, like, more than just being a bit of a stopper, you know, yeah. someone who is going to kind of carry the ball out. And some of his runs on on Saturday, some of his kind of... Yeah. Um, Uh, dictating play
1: uh, and not just reacting, was really good. I think it was quite strange because we saw him on the left wing quite a bit and he made a couple of runs down that side. Um, But the thing that I noticed about Chelsea, not detracting from our performance, but the thing that I noticed about Chelsea in particular is that Pedro had a nightmare. Quiet, wasn't he? But, 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 But he was... Threatening that side, or that's where he was supposed mm. to be playing. Um, they brought on William, and he had exactly—he got absolutely nothing out of Cresswell.
4: No, no, and, and
1: he even allowed Cresswell to get forward quite yep. a bit after that. And in fact, Cresswell got forward before that for his for his goal. Yeah, um, but but we were expecting that game where Cresswell and Fredericks would be just tied up at the back somewhere. Mm, mm, but we yeah. didn't Not really, really think no. they were going no. to be storming down both flanks no but but so was snodgrass on the other side yeah. i mean we we absolutely did them on both wings we did yeah uh i mean there was a yeah, there did. was the the obviously the
0: just the the fact that we worked harder was what sort of led to mainly the result but there were some uh, uh structural changes to the team and uh um moving uh anderson inside uh we've seen four on the wing before but it felt like even though they're just converted wingers and wing play is not their kind of natural way of playing snodgrass and uh and four were our wingers because anderson was going to play inside in a sort Mm. of number 10 position and uh we've sort of had a kind of nod to that before, but quite often they swap during the game and stuff. But I think they kept that shape very well uh, so that the winger was backed up by a defender on both flanks and as you say you know their wide players didn't really get a lot out of us no. and uh, so it was very organized it was very yeah organized.
2: and it was quite a fluid formation people seemed mm. to have the freedom to roam a little bit you know especially yeah. especially anderson playing that number 10 like you said i really i really liked it because yeah. when you put him out on the wing and you put Fournells out on the wing even though they're strictly where he was at the weekend, mm, mm. Um, it's, a kind of, it's a waste because they're both number 10s. They should be playing in the yeah. middle. They should have one eye on trying to find the striker. You know, and what they tend to do when you put them out on the wings, they tend to, in my view, just, just hide. They yeah. hide out there. You know? and, and especially Anderson, he wants to get rid of the ball as soon as he gets it yeah. when he's on the wing. Right? So he did a lot better. I'd say the one, the one issue I've got with, with Anderson is he seems to get substituted every single game. You know, and, I, yeah. and I'm not sure he deserved to get substituted on. on not necessarily, on no, no.
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, there's, there was just a, a, a degree of kind of leg freshening that need to, needed to mm. sort of happen in that game. What we still, in a way, don't have on the bench is pace, you know. And uh, yep. Yep. Um, Antonio ran himself literally into the ground, he didn't did, he? Yeah. Just, uh, he sort of didn't go for one ball, yeah. uh, put his hands on his thighs and stopped playing. <laughs> and he just yeah. had yeah. to take him off.
2: He was incredible. He, he worked
0: incredible really well, incredible. didn't yeah. he? But, no,
1: but it, was it was about five minutes before that that he went on a blistering run. Yeah. yeah. And, and you could that see when he got off, to the end yeah, of that, yeah that's my very last run, I can't do anymore. And Um, he's carrying a bit of timber again.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently he's rumoured to have a bit of a thigh thigh strain or something after that game, which means he might not play in the week. Oh, my God. Right, Okay. So, I mean, that was always going to be on the cards because we really needed (coughs) him, didn't we, after (coughs) that run of... Just shitty results. Well, and, I, I uh,
2: think when you've got somebody putting themselves out uh, around up front like that, it takes a focus off the rest it, of the team. It has a knock-on yeah. effect on the midfield. And it has a knock-on effect on the defenders. When you haven't got that, when you haven't got that focal point. So I, I kind of, I dread having to put Haller back in against Wolves. So.
4: Yeah, but,
0: I, I, I mean, I think, yeah. you know, hopefully there's been a bit of a kind of air-clearing thing because I do think mm. that um, there's, there's been, you know... Um, as, as David Cross said, you know, he's, he is possibly sort of like hiding a bit because he's just not getting the change out of the rest of the team. But it sort of cuts both ways in that he has to show more for it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. also, they have to look for him.
1: But actually, what David said, he's spot on. Um, if you're not getting the ball in, you're not getting the service, then you do need to talk to the rest of the team and say, just put the ball in there. Yeah, yeah. I- I'll get it. I'll find it. Yeah. And it's that sort of the work rate. And I think actually David would do very well in modern football because mm, it is mm. that attitude of wanting the ball. Um even in modern football that he's still absolutely needed hiding during the game isn't the answer. Yeah,
2: and, and Heller doesn't play that role. He doesn't play that role. He doesn't say put it into the box and I'll no. go and find it. He just hides behind a centre half or something like that. Now whether that is a confidence thing or not, I hope it is, <laughs> because early on in the season it was fantastic. He was absolutely amazing. Well I mean there are there are
0: there are sort of slightly bewildering you know, that when when um when Fredericks went out of the team for a while and Zabaleta came inside, like Fredericks does get to the byline and cross, mm. and uh, and Halea, certainly early on in the season was. Uh, committing to balls that went across the six-yard box yeah. low and hard mm. and diverting them into the net. And, you know, it's a fairly traditional way of scoring goals. But, like, that's not quite... Zabaleta's not quite as good as that at Fredericks because he's out the pace to get to the byline, yeah. you know. Um, similarly, um, when the left flank was shared by Anderson and Cresswell... Um, you know, uh, Jabo, Jabo Iberi last week said that, you know, if if Anderson's going to always want to cut inside and not going to want to run, yeah. well, then he's just got to tell the rest of the team that so that Cresswell runs on and yeah. he'll cross. Yeah. You know, what what happens is it looks like Anderson might run, but, but decides to just put the brakes on and look for a pass. Yeah. And so all that play down one flank has just gone mm. because Cresswell... Is assuming he's going to ta- that Anderson's going to take
2: it on his own? It's like, it's like he doesn't want to take responsibility, Anderson. It's very and, and, weird. He, and he tries to get rid of the ball as soon as he gets I, it. I,
1: I think you also hit the nail on the head as well. Playing in wide, I don't think is his position no, because it's not. for my mind, he, he gets the ball. He almost sometimes gets it with half of his back to the goal. He turns around and he's got two things to do. He can either take it wide or he can take it inside, yeah. or he can play that square ball and 90% of the time he's playing that square ball. If he's more central... Then he gets two flanks to look at and he gets a through ball to look at. He hasn't got those limited options because he's actually quite a good footballer. And I think yeah. he needs to be closer to the centre of the pitch than on the wing. I agree.
0: Yes. I agree. I mean, I think it's like if you have a good player, you know, just give them the ball. I mean, it's like it's sort of, you know, there's sometimes a feeling that it's kind of an egalitarian game and we should sort of uh, uh, share the love. When we had Di Canio, basically every single player from every position was Gated going it. Where's power? Yeah, yeah give him where's power yeah. in the ball? And I think um, certainly for Anderson, and to a degree, once you once you're in the last third, uh, you know where is Allaire? Look, you know they they the, the rest of the team yeah. need to look for those two players. And I think yeah. I think mm. I think Allaire was just his head was just going down a bit because because in a way, you know, it's difficult if you have got a forty five million pound price tag on your head because you were banging lots of goals in. Mm. Uh, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt you know if, if you're going yeah but yeah. the system under which I was putting those goals a in front two. is not happening now yeah but it was it's, a front it's...
1: two he was playing in a front two there
0: yeah. and
1: he's now looking to say well I actually I'm being asked to play a lone yeah. striker role yeah. and I don't think he actually knows how to do it no that's what I mean um, yeah, yeah, I but, think... but earlier in the season when Antonio was there before he was injured that was almost a front two and yeah. look how well that worked at Watford yeah But since then, you can't really look at a game and say that he's had a partner there no. because Anderson never gets close Someone's enough. Someone's got to get close Yarmolenko yeah, yeah, yeah. could get close enough yeah, because absolutely. he can play inside. Um, yeah. But it, it, it doesn't seem to be the way that we set out. And, absolutely. And, and despite the fact that we had a wonderful result over the weekend. Um, let's not get carried away. No, no. We had six very bad games before that. We did. Very we bad did. games, and some of those games we looked awful. We, so, um, so this doesn't really solve anything yet, as far we
0: as We were, were lucky think. they didn't start uh, Willian, Kante and Hudson-Odoi. I think so, I, a couple of those I were I coming think, back yeah, from injuries. I think
2: Lampard possibly yeah, he thought we were going to start with Roberto in goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the way he set up his team. He put Giroud up front. So he was looking for Giroud yep. to give Roberto a yeah, nightmare. Yeah. Um, you know, as it turned out, we set up absolutely perfect for their system because, mm. you know, um, Ogbonna played really well, was kind of the lead center half. Yeah. And then Balbuena, he's all he had was one job to do. And that was take care of Giroud. Giroud, and yeah. And you give him, don't, don't let him think, just give him one job to do. Mm-mm. And he had Giroud in his pocket. He did. He did. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it was good. Uh, Ogbonna, the return of Oc bonner was uh, good as well. I, I think, mm. um, you know, Ogbonna, it's funny. I, I, for some reason, you know, just on social media, sort of Oc Bonner's mistakes seem to be magnified above and beyond anyone else's mistakes. And there were people that sort of yeah. rated him very poorly. Raters thought Ogbonna is just an all-four yeah. defender. I think he's the best centre-half we've got. Well, he heads, he's the best header of a ball for yeah. a start, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's the best header of all. He also has some... You know, he makes a nuisance of himself in a corner when we get a corner. Yeah. He's not only headed mm-hmm. goals quite a few times for us. Late winner against Liverpool a few seasons back was a fantastic goal. Yeah. Uh, but he's, um, you know, scored a couple with his feet. He, I think he's, you know, he's been parts of drills, that teams that know a corner drill. Yeah. And uh, we've been woefully bad yeah. at corners. Sheffield United, we had something like 10 <laughs> in the first half and did nothing with them. And in fact, I think possibly United's uh, goal was from a corner and just caused absolute mayhem in our penalty area, you know. Well,
2: you you know, some of it's down to the keeper flapping behind the defenders, but you've got to look at Diop as a, you know, because he was great last year, Diop, at a certain point in time, and this year he seems to have completely lost it, he's gone to pieces, and I think him and Bonner had a decent relationship at one point, and Mm. then... Pellegrini decided in his infinite wisdom to just drop Ogbonna for no reason, look Balbuena in, that just... Spread chaos amongst the centre-offs, they just got mm, worse mm. and worse and worse, yeah.
0: Mm. With, with this terrible keeper behind them, yes. I, yeah. Well,
2: yeah, I, I,
1: know. I'm surprised by Balbueno as well because he arrived with this nickname, didn't he? The captain, the general, or the general, oh, the general yeah. yeah. Um, the guy that's in charge, the guy that organises, and I've mm. never seen that from him. Yeah. I mean, I think he, he could be a, a relatively reasonable player, yeah. But but we knew on, on Saturday who was controlling that back line, and that yeah. was Old Bonner every time. No. Yeah.
0: He, he, I mean, he was good last season, Balbueno, but it seemed to just come back from yeah. you know the summer just hmm. not quite the player he was well maybe
1: he played all summer and that might be Probably the problem
0: did, yeah, well. yeah it could have, could have been have been, yeah um, but uh, you know it was a good I mean those you know uh, I think I think Ogbonna had a really good game uh, Rice played out of his skin I think mm. there were sort of very few bad performances really across the pitch yeah. Um uh, Antonio just worked his nuts off, you yeah, know. I
2: think I that think no. excellent um, really, and really
0: we good. had yeah. quite a few goal scoring opportunities and in, in yeah. fact, the you know the, the slightly negative side of, of of Antonio was there was a clear ball that bounced at a difficult height, so he was caught between trying to kick it in and knee it in yeah. and did neither. <laughs>
2: And Halea yeah. puts that away, right? As, yeah, as a striker, yeah. they've yeah. got that ability to think quickly yeah. and adjust themselves. Yeah, but there again,
1: Antonio's th- right there where the ball's going to arrive and Halea isn't. he calls the chance. You yeah, know? I mean, yeah. uh, we've been waiting for Halea to get there into to be in that position in the box time and yeah, time got. again, and he hasn't mm-hmm. done it, has he?
2: No. But, but yeah, I, I I just I don't want to get carried away, like Colin said. I don't want no. to get carried away because no, no, it, it's no. it's one win. And if you remember back to the Billich times, we had a, yeah. a few of these false storms Absolutely. before he eventually got fired. Yeah, yeah. And this is, um, you know, I, I think I'm a bit concerned with what Pellegrini said after the game because he he came out and said sometimes when you get criticised, it's not deserved. Sometimes mm. when you get praise, it's not deserved, which is fine. Mm-hmm. That, that's good. But then he, he kind of went on to say, they said, what did you change? He said, I didn't change anything. We did the same thing. Well, I said, well, apart from the keeper, the striker, <laughs> you know, who else? They're changing formation, the dropping deep and putting Anderson in the hole. Yeah, it changed nothing at all, did mm-hmm. you? I mean, just I, I can understand him trying to say face, but it doesn't give me any faith. How many of those, those, those changes were not forced upon him, how many of those would he have made out of choice? Well, no, the
1: only difference I saw over the weekend is I think the players
2: came out with
1: a plan and with attitude. Yes. I mean, I don't think that Pellegrini changed too much about what he was doing. Yes, he made a couple of changes, two of them because he had to, Hmm. um, because you had a a player who was suspended. um, And, you know, Haller didn't need... Drop him for his own good. Yeah, because yeah. In, being but, but dropping back deep. That's a significant change in approach. Yeah, it was. But, I mean, you're away at Chelsea. You pack the midfield, so you're always expecting yeah. to be a little bit deep, mm. aren't you? Mm. But we do, you know, like,
0: like when a tennis player breaks the other player's serve, it's then the next game that matters because you have to yes. hold your own serve. And then we, mm. we um, Wolves away is tough, isn't it? And we've now, going into right. this kind of two <clears> games in a week, uh, we're going to play... On Wednesday and next Monday, uh, mm-hmm. Arsenal at home. So, so um, you know, it's difficult. They're both tricky fixtures. Uh, you, you know, you, you'd hope, in fact, for more out of the Arsenal one than playing Wolves away. Wolves started the season very badly, but uh, a lot of that was, I think, to do with Europa League, and they are now looking like a bit like the Wolves of last season. They're yeah, sort they of. Do. Um, I mean, Sheffield United showed that
1: you can go there and be stubborn. Yeah, um, yeah, and they just got a point off of them. Yeah. Um, and I, I think if we we have the same sort of attitude as we did against Chelsea, yeah. if we can continue that attitude, I think we could be stubborn enough to hold them to something, like a, you know, perhaps a draw. Yeah, or yeah, which would be I mean, great. It's it's within us, um, and and now the players have actually accepted responsibility and put the effort in.
0: Yeah, th- yeah. Th-
1: then it's only good as as good as doing it the next game as well, because you've yeah. got to keep
0: that going. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked. Um, uh, though he wasn't p- particularly effective, uh, I liked keeping the left-back on and bringing um, Masuaku on yes. to play in front of him yeah. as a sort of winger. Yeah. I mean, I think converted winger is, is you know, obviously I think wing-back is probably the sort of uh, best deployment of Masuaku, but I think um, converted winger... It is uh, a good role for him because, I mean, we, yeah. you know, a yeah. bit of pace off the bench is, well, is, is, is if, something if, we're going to need. If our
1: manager yeah. spotted that, I don't know whether he mm. did or not. But, I mean, I certainly did at the game. Um, we, we saw Rice have um, a, an awful lot of joy down that side. You had mm. Creswell coming forward and having an awful lot of joy. Mm. Creswell was taking care of both wingers. Yeah. And uh, and I think he looked at I think it's James, the uh, yes, Chelsea yeah, uh, yeah. fullback. I think he looked very dodgy on that side so I think if if, if Pellegrini had actually seen that and said look I'm going to bring another guy on that side because that that fallback back is having a nightmare, that could have been in his thinking. So yes. if that's... You hope so, don't you? I, I would hope that that would be part of his thinking. But, I mean, he might have just thought, well, another, another yeah. pair of legs. I mean, I think, you
0: know, I think there has been a sort of worry that Pellegrini, and, and I don't know whether we've just said it to each other socially or on this podcast, that sometimes it feels like Pellegrini doesn't really take the other team into account. Yeah. You know, mm. um, there was definitely, you know, again... Newcastle. Uh, as we said last time... Yeah. Um, well, actually, against Spurs, uh, 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 Jabo Ibiray was standing next to me watching the game, and he, within about two two minutes, he said, that number 24, Aurier, mm. he's a weak link. He can't defend to save his life. Right. He provided the cross for one of their goals, but he is one of those full mm. that yeah. sort of can't defend, but he's good up the flank and stuff. And he went, you know, they should just be pressing that side because he's got a mistake in he, he said, that guy's a ticking time bomb. He's like, you know, mm. and actually... Yeah. Felipe Anderson was on that wing and had one of his most ineffective games in the West Ham Hamshire. Yeah. When you really had an opportunity to bully mm-hmm. their right-back, our left, our whole left flank didn't do that. That, because was,
2: that was a team where eight of your players didn't turn up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We really only Absolutely. had a couple of players playing, yeah. didn't we? And yeah. that was an identical performance to what we put in against Newcastle yes. and the previous game. Same formation, hmm. same players, yeah. and then suddenly it changed last weekend. So... Yeah, excuse well, me for being a little bit sceptical. Well, no,
1: I, I, I agree with you. I think there have been a few players in this miserable period um, that it's not necessarily worked for them, but I can't actually fault Snodgrass's effort no, throughout no, no, those no. games. No. I can't fault Noble's effort throughout those games. Mm. Occasionally, Rice has had a nightmare through those games as well. Yes. But, but the effort has been there.
2: So you hit upon a thread. It's the British thread that was running I mean, through it could, that team yeah, it on, could be, yeah. on Saturday. Yeah, it, it, right? it, it could well be, yeah. And there is a room that Noble gave a Parker-like speech before the game. Yeah, right, yeah. All you know. oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, um, I didn't
2: know he was so eloquent. Yeah,
0: I thought that the uh, uh, not Dorothy Parker, Scott Parker. i <laughs> <laughs> oh, Scott. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. yeah Scott Parker. Um, but I, but you know, I, I think that I think that uh, some of that reshaping, uh, bringing on Bonner back. You know, we've been crying out for that. I mean, he, he the um, he was late. You know, he's late to the party with um, bringing Fredericks in. Mm. For Zabaleta And a bit late to the party Bringing uh, Ogbonna in For Balbuena Which he didn't do Because Diop was dropped
1: But he brought Ogbonna back but, in But he's dropped him since When Mm-mm. he's been playing perfectly well
4: Mm-mm. I mean it wasn't yeah.
1: just a matter of being late It was no. bringing him back And then taking him out And yeah. then saying Oh no actually He's got a well, that, the, yeah.
0: the Balbuena Diop pairing last season did work very well, but I think, mm. he, I think he, I think should have probably stuck with Ogbornor because Ogbornor was, um, mm. you know, is fairly consistent. He's pretty consistent But when you he think is. about but, it. Um, uh,
1: sometime during the Tottenham game, we went back to Ogbornor and Rice at the back. Because Diop yeah, had yeah. been substituted, and actually we played a bit better. Uh, uh, but but that was the previous manager's team <laughs> yeah, from yeah. the previous yeah, season. Yeah, absolutely. So so for all the improvements you made, you're suddenly back to square one, aren't you? With Rice no, and Log yeah. Bonner. I mean,
0: I, I thought I thought. Uh, I mean, if he does um, take certain aspects of the change of formation from Saturday and take them onwards, I, t- I certainly think Anderson uh, in in the kind of number ten role is yeah. a really good call because. I think he, it's not necessarily even that the player uh, improves, though he right. did improve because he saw more of the ball. Mm-hmm. I think it just gave the team a little bit more of a shape whereby they knew what they were doing. These two converted wingers, who neither of whom are natural wingers, yeah. played as if they were wingers because they went, that's what we've been told to do. So, so um, Fornells and Snodgrass, mm-hmm. even though they, they both cut inside quite yeah. a lot, they kind of went, we will play as wingers because yeah, yeah. Felipe's in the middle, you know, uh, yeah. and, and, and it felt like there was a bit more,
2: uh, you know, intent in that yeah. lineup. Well, Felipe uh, Anderson is a fantastic player. He's so talented. Yeah. And when he's on his game and he's full of confidence, and we've with- he's he's almost unplayable. We saw some great performances out of him last year. And I think that's got to be the challenge with him is to bring his confidence back up again. And that's why I mentioned what I mentioned earlier about him being substituted. You know, I looked earlier... Thir- last thirteen games that he started, he's been substituted ten times. Yeah, mm. what does that do for a player's confidence? Yeah. Who's already a bit fragile, yeah, yeah. right? So it, it just seems that you know Pellegrini is just a creature of habit, or just does the same mm-hmm. thing over and over again. Over again. You need to build the guy up, but, and I think he played well enough on Saturday to yeah. play for the whole ninety minutes. Yeah, he put him perfect. in that
0: playmaker role. Yeah, but, but, he wasn't perfect, yeah, yeah. but
2: he was a lot better. No, but it's difficult for Pellegrini,
1: isn't it? I and mean, this is. St- Part of the very strange thing that West Ham have done, we had a great number ten in Lanzini. Uh, the following year, we bought another ten in in Anderson. Yeah. And over the close season, this season, we bought four nil. So we got and effectively and Wilshire. Uh, yeah. And Wilshire is a possibly a number ten as well yeah. if he's fit. No, we've um, got all players that want to be number ten. So, so, so yeah. you've you've got through them now. Yeah, you can take Anderson off and you can disappoint him, and you can not play four nils and disappoint him. And when Nanzini comes, does he go straight back in the side? No. Because it's no. It, it, it's a difficult call, isn't it? Yeah. But at some stage, you know all of those three footballers are good footballers. And you can, you can only really play one of them. I think you can only... We've tried to yeah. accommodate two, but I, I think that it, it, there's yeah. only room
2: for them. Well, well, the best one, to my mind, by a country mile, is Anderson. Is Anderson, Yeah. yeah. Well, it, if you, I mean, it, if you're truly except when he has that, a bad
0: day. Yeah. If you're truly playing that sort of uh, front three, you know, some combination of at least two of those guys should be able to do that. Mm. I mean, Spurs were playing with Kane up front, and then behind him, uh, Son, Ali, and uh, Lucas Moura. Yeah. Yeah. Two of whom are strikers themselves, yeah. Yeah. playing as support to the striker. But and both I Mora mean,
1: but, but, but and Ali are capable of going wide and cutting in. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, they're not pure number tens. No, no, are no that's they? right. No, but that's the new breed of footballer where sort
0: of this game yeah. is developing, isn't it? I mean, that's sort of something I kind of, you know, in a way meant to come onto with with David on Fan David across is that. Um, you know, these kind of Sadio Mane type players, yeah. you know, these guys that are there. They can do everything. They're yeah. a little bit winger, a little yeah. bit number 10, a little bit striker. They're, football's not full of those guys. You know, no. Coutinho was one of those guys. And, yeah. and you know, there are lo- those guys on the continent. But we don't necessarily have them here, but we play in set-ups as if we do. Mm-hmm. We're going, going, I'm going to play this four-three-three, three, and I've got these three front guys. And mm-hmm. you're going, no, you haven't. You've got, you know, Carlton Cole... Mm-hmm. Kevin Nolan uh, yeah. and Ricardo Vaz yeah. as your I, I, exactly, you know, yeah. and you know certainly one of those guys isn't any of those three things. We, we've just got, him, although man. he's a good, you know, although Look, Kevin Nolan old, was
1: a good football. But the old equivalent, you know, tell Hayden Mullins Mall- he's a wonderful winger and get out there. You know, I mean, yeah, it, it, yeah. it just wouldn't yeah. work, would it? No, that's know, and
0: right. it, it, um, anyway, we should probably wrap this up. So we've uh, um, we we we've got predictions in theory for two games: the Wolves in the week and the Arsenal at home. Oh, um, yeah. You know, if we if we You know, could win one of those two games, that would be great. Uh, They're both tricky. Um, You know, I could... You'd love four points, wouldn't you? You'd love a draw and a win, uh, but they're hard games and you're not sort of, you're not kind of looking at those games going, yeah, I think four points from that would be great. Nil points from that would be (laughs) something you'd predict quite confidently, but we Hmm. need something, really, don't we?
2: Yeah, yeah. So what do we think about the Wolves? Well, I'm going, so oh, yeah. you know I only go two away wins, yeah. so 2-0 oh, yeah. West Ham. 2-0 West Ham,
1: yeah. excellent. Colin? Yeah, well, I, I, I've not seen an away defeat yet this season. No, oh. I've seen four away games, and I've not seen a... But I'm not it, going to Wolves. Right, oh, so no. So no, that, no. that, that, yeah. that's all gone now. Um, I, I think that uh, I think we might get another clean sheet, and it might be a goal straw. Right, 0-0.
0: Hmm. I'm going to say... Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers 2, West Ham 4. Oh, mm. bold, bold. Yeah, that's, that's not going to happen, but uh, but I'll say it, I'll say <laughs> it. No, we heard you say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did say Now, what about Arsenal? Now, you know, they're sort of, uh, they're no. very fragile.
2: It depends, doesn't it? Are they going to get a new manager before we play them? Yeah. Uh, probably not. because no, they I don't, don't think they will. No, no, no. Right, no, no. So, so in view of that, I think we're going to beat them. Mm, mm. I think we're going to beat them 2-1.
1: One nil. Well, I'm going to go two nil, and the reason I say that is that I watched them over the weekend. Um, and they were trying to play the same system that the old manager that's just been sacked, um, played before he was sacked. Mm, mm. I mean, they were trying to play, um, out from the back from the goalkeeper and play that passing football, including sideshow Bob trying to play passing football. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is just absolutely ridiculous um Manchester City can play from the back from the goalkeeper all the way through mm-hmm. because they've got very good players. Yeah. Emery for some reason thought that that was okay for Arsenal with with some you know if some iffy, yeah. players, I- yeah. iffy defenders. Yeah. Yeah. So unless and, and I address that with the new manager um, and they're not going to get one within the next few days. I'm confident for that 2-0 win. Good, I, think, I good. think we've got them.
0: Well, that's a very positive uh, outcome for this <laughs> podcast. Uh, this has been Stop Hammer Time. My name is Phil Whelans. With me have been uh, Gary Killington. coming your And Colin Milne. Good night, all.
2: Cheers. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com.